You are listening to episode 204 of This is Type 1. Today, I'm chatting with the T1D life coach, Lauren Rappaport, about her 43-year journey with type 1 diabetes and how she helps adult type 1s go from suffering to thriving by showing them how to change their mindsets about living with this condition. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. All right. Tell us about you and the story of your diagnosis. Okay. Well, I'm Lauren Rappaport. I am the T1D Life Coach, as you mentioned, and I am 47 years old and I live in Washington, D.C. in DuPont Circle. And as you mentioned, I've had type 1 for 43 years and I was diagnosed at age 3 in 1979. So when I was first diagnosed, I would pee on a stick. I did not have home blood testing. We didn't even know what my blood sugar was. I wasn't given a number. It was just high or low. So I'm sitting here so grateful for my insulin pump, for my control IQ closed loop insulin pump. So very grateful for the technology that I have. But back when I was diagnosed, I didn't have gratitude in my vocabulary. I was not very grateful. I suffered from what I would call poor meism. I felt really, really sorry for myself growing up with type 1. I really thought life wasn't fair. I wanted to just be like my friends. I didn't want my finger to be pricked. I didn't want to have to prick my fingers. I didn't want to... Oh, sorry. I didn't mention that my parents dove right into um, charity work with JDRF, the organization that raised money for type 1 diabetes. And I thought life already wasn't fair that I had to have diabetes. I didn't want to go to these charity events on the weekends. I just wanted to hang out with my friends. So I felt like life wasn't fair, that I had to do shots and prick my finger and It was bad enough that I had diabetes, but I got dragged to these events on the weekends. And because I would go to these JDRF events, I saw other kids with type 1. And I was constantly comparing myself to other kids with type 1. And I would think to myself, what is wrong with me that I was struggling so badly? And these kids seem to be having their life together. They seem like they were so together. And I would beat myself up for struggling with type 1 diabetes. So I'd suffer from poor meism. And then how compare- old were you? Like how old were you when you were going to these events that you saw the other kids with their diabetes and thought that like they were all perfect? Well, so I was diagnosed at three. And then by the time I was four, my parents were, they had started a, a JDRF chapter in Connecticut. So from the time I was four up until, I mean, up until now, but really probably I remember going to an event when I was seven years old and this probably 12-year-old was giving a speech and talking about, I have type one, I can do anything. And I just remember thinking like, why do they have their life so together? And I'm just struggling so bad emotionally. Like what's wrong with me? And so it was that, it was that compare and despair. And so then, you know, poor guilt and shame and, and on top of all that, um, and I would just beat myself up over it. So really the story, you know, at the end of the day, the story I told myself was that you got diabetes and you suffered, that there was just like that no solution for suffering. So it was poor me, compare and despair, and then beating myself up for having those feelings. So you got type one and you suffered. And that was a story I told myself over and over and over growing up with type one until I found coaching. So, I mean, then that bleeds into how I got into coaching, but I'll wait until (laughs) we talk about that. Well, I mean, that leads kind of into a question that I like asking a lot of our guests, and it kind of stumps some of them at first, but 
It's what is your favorite thing about having type one? Yeah, I actually love this question. So aside from the obvious of like coaching people and helping them feel better about their type one, for me, it's my work with JDRF. Even though as a kid, it's something that I resisted. For me, it's absolutely 100% my work with JDRF. And it's really three reasons. One is the funds raised by JDRF is one of the key reasons why we have the technology that we have today. Because JDRF raises key funds for you know the closed-loop insulin pump. Second, it's like family to me. I mean, I've known JDRF since I was three years old. And it's that bonding over shared pain and the shared resilience over that pain. And the third reason is I didn't have the words for it then I do now. JDRF is the first thing that really started me help help shift my mindset over T1D. And it gave me like a purpose and a passion around type one. I had such a negative mindset around type one growing up. And then I, I dove into JDRF as an adult. I discovered something called the JDRF Ride to Cure Diabetes. It's a 100-mile bike ride. And so when I started doing that, it's really because my dad wanted to do the ride with me and he ended up passing away from leukemia. So I had I, I got to do the ride with my dad and it was like something that really helped me shift my mindset around type 1. And so because of that, it's my work with JDRF that is my absolute... And I've met the most amazing people through, through JDRF. So that is my favorite thing about having type 1. How did you go from absolutely <clears throat> loathing all of those weekend charity events to actually getting involved as an adult and being so gung-ho about it? That's, that's like an amazing question. And it, it was the ride. My dad said to me, hey, do you want to do this like bike ride with me? And I was like, wait, that's 100 miles? And he's like, yeah, let's do it together. And my mom is really the one who was like boots on the ground, roll up your sleeves, volunteer. My dad was the one who wrote the check. So I didn't have that much time with my dad. And I was like, time with my dad, I'm doing it. So we did the ride. And it's a 100-mile bike ride at different like locations around the country. And so when I did the ride with my dad, literally the ride changed everything. And I said to myself, JDRF has always been my parents' thing. It is time. I was in my 30s at this point. It is time that I took the reins and I can start taking leadership roles with JDRF. And so I came home and I joined the board a month later. And so that's where the shift happens. It's a good question. And I've now done 11 rides with the JDRF Ride to Cure Diabetes. It's the most amazing event. I'm either trying to promote my coaching or I'm trying to promote the ride. It's such an amazing experience. I think it's funny that you went from like this little kid basically with her arm cr- arms crossed at the charity events. Like, I don't want to be here to on the board. <laughs> I should show you a picture of me at JDRF. I have this little short haircut and a pout when I'm four years old. It is the poutiest picture you've ever seen. And it is me being like, I hate JDRF. And then a picture of me at the ride. It is really like the most like opposite reactions. It's pretty funny. Send those to me and we'll include them in the show notes so people okay, can see what we're we'll talking do. about. <laughs> I will do. Okay, let's turn gears and talk okay. about coaching. So you are yes. the T1D Life Coach. Yes. Like, What type of clients <clears throat> would you say that you help? I help adults with type 1. I've also coached parents because, as we know, it is a family disease. And so I've coached parents before, but my bread and butter is adults with type 1. I see... I coach people who have had type 1 for their whole lives, adults who have just been diagnosed the last couple of years, but adults with type 1. My clients come to me feeling hopeless, stressed, depressed, 
all the emotions, but really feeling stuck in their type one. Because the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. So if you're feeling stuck in your type one, there's a very good chance you're feeling stuck in all areas of your life. And that's how I was. When I started working with my coach, I became, I went to her because I was feeling stuck with my job. And then when I started applying the tools, I realized that my victim mentality, my poor meism, was permeating every area of my life. And so everything became more crystal clear when I started applying all the tools to my diabetes. And so I help people really get unstuck with their diabetes and like every area in their life. And so adult, so adults with type one. This is a quick answer to that question. So we've talked about this over chat, but tell us about how you like your your experience when you realize that diabetes is a circumstance. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'll give you an example. It's really so our thoughts about anything is drives the way we feel. So for example, if your blood sugar is 350, and this is these are thought examples. I'm not talking about the way you manage your type one. If your thought, if your blood sugar is 350 and you think I'm 350, I'm really bad at my diabetes. I'm bad at diabetes. You're going to feel like you're going to feel crappy, right? You're going to feel bad about yourself. If you think I'm 350, I'm bad at diabetes. And those thoughts compile over time. So if you have a lot of thoughts like that, you're going to feel really, really bad or depressed or sad or angry or whatever. So it's understanding what those thoughts are that really drive understanding how you feel. But if you look at 350 is just a number, it is 350, it is just a number. So if you then say, I'm 350, it's just a number, or I'm 350, I'll get them next time, or I'm 350, it's better than 450, or whatever the thought is, you're going to start feeling better or neutral or encouraged or whatever. So the same can be applied to diabetes. Like it's your thoughts about your diabetes that drive how you feel. So it's really understanding that, that like diabetes doesn't have to be as hard as we make it. It doesn't have to be hard. You get to decide how hard type one diabetes is based on how you think about it. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. A couple episodes before this one airs, we're releasing one about how diabetes does not hurt your feelings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Diabetes doesn't make you mad. It's your thoughts about diabetes that makes you mad. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. So how did you get into coaching? So I was in the corporate world for 20 years. So one of my best friends became a life coach after the corporate world. And so I was unhappy in my corporate job. So I started working with her. And then I started applying the tools to type one. And I realized that I was looking at the world through the lens of victim mentality. And what I mean by that is I would walk into the grocery store and I would get on the slow line and I would say, of course, I'm on the slow line, right? Of course, the slow line happened to me. And right, like I was looking at everything in life with that lens of victim mentality, because that's how I looked at life with type 1 diabetes. But yet what I didn't see was the 20 other people on the line with me, or I didn't see, oh, the poor checkout girl, it's her second day, she's so swamped. Or I didn't see, oh, I could just read a fun magazine. Or I didn't think, what is in my control? I can put my groceries back and come back to the grocery store tomorrow. 
or I can get on the other line. Or there's so many different ways I could have looked at that situation. I only looked at what was happening at me. And so when you can look at life through the lens of victim mentality, or you can look at life through the hero's lens. I mean, so I started to learn how to not do that and how to pull myself out of victim mentality and that that all stemmed from my type 1 diabetes. And I pulled myself out of that victim mentality. And at the end of the day, I got my power back because there's so much powerlessness in type 1 diabetes, right? Like you can't control, at least I perceived this as a kid. I couldn't control when I ate, when I got my shots, when I got my blood testing. So I got my power back and I started to feel a zillion times better. And I've never had like a calling before, but working with my coach all of a sudden one day was like, I have to share this with the rest of the world. And I have to share this with other people with type one so they can get their power back and they can feel better and they can like show up to the rest of their life the way that I was able to. And it also solved my job problems. <laughs> and I decided that I was going to quit my corporate job and do this full time. So I got certified, I got certified with life coach school and started my own business coaching. How would you say, like, give us like one example of how you yeah. help your clients in particular? Yeah. So I actually have a three-step process and it's awareness, acceptance, and action. And so awareness, as I mentioned before, and then I can, I'll give you a, a quick, I can give you a quick like client example, but awareness is, as I mentioned before, awareness of your thoughts, right? The 350 example, if you are aware of that, you're thinking, oh, I'm 350, I'm bad at diabetes understanding your thoughts is the most important thing to understanding how you feel. If you don't know where you are, you don't know where you're going. So un- like awareness is a very, very important step. And then the second is acceptance. Acceptance is such an important step. I didn't, when I started working with my coach, I didn't know that I wasn't accepting my type one. And when you're really and truly, and when you're not in acceptance, you're fighting with reality. My clients come to me and say things like, I wish I didn't have type one. I miss the days that I that I didn't have type one. Or if I didn't have type one, I would be X person. If I didn't have type one, then I could be doing this. And so, and it's grieving the life of the lot of the life you you thought you would have, or grieving the life you thought you you didn't have before type one. So it's it's really working on accepting your type one. And changing your relationship with type one. I say that type one is like an arranged marriage. It's not the spouse you would have picked, but don't you want to fall in love with your spouse anyway? So if you're like sitting on the couch with like this husband you didn't choose, what would you say to him? Would you compliment his shirt? Like, what are the like things that you would want to do to like improve your relationship? Like, can you name one thing you're grateful for with your type one? Right. So it's like this whole acceptance process that I've come up with. And then the third step is action. It's all the solution-based tools, right? Like dropping your type one stories, right? We have so many stories we tell ourselves about our type one. I was like 100% convinced, not even convinced. It was a fact that I was not going to live past 40. I'm 47, right? I'm healthy in 47. But in my mind, I was never going to live past 40. So I had like a crisis when I turned 40. I didn't know what to do with myself. So it's like we have so many beliefs about our type one that we are ingrained from our endocrinologists, from social media, from. So it's like dropping those type one stories that we've convinced ourselves of. It's boundaries work. I mean, 
the Dexcom share alone, there's so many boundaries that we have to establish with our loved ones, right? Whether it's dropping the share altogether, whether it's just creating boundaries. I mean, there's so many, it's all the tools. Um, So that Dexcom share thing was solved for me because my new phone does not handle the sharing capabilities. I'm like, well, if my husband wants to see my blood sugar, he has to pick up my phone and look while I'm sleeping. (laughs) That's amazing. I've actually, yes, worked with clients to like stop the Dexcom share. Sorry, parents out there. But when it's appropriate or just set up rules and parameters that between the hours of this and this, we don't look at our Dexcom share. I've heard so many stories about like, my mother-in-law wants to share the share. And right. I mean, so there's boundaries work to be done. Let's see. There's just measuring, measuring successes when it may measuring successes backwards. Do I feel, am I, am I feeling frustrated at an eight out of a 10 when before I was feeling frustrated 10 to 10 times, right? That's huge improvements, right? So anyway, I can go on and on, but there's lots of there's lots of tools, action tools that we can apply. But they the tools sink in so much better once you've reached that acceptance. So, and again, it's it's not sunshine and rainbows. We're not looking for perfection. It's type 1 diabetes. Type 1 diabetes is not the perfectionist disease. But it's instead of frustrated 10 out of 10, am I frustrated 8 out of 10 or 3 out of 10? I used to be mad 10 out of 10 times. Now I'm mad 3 out of 10 times, right? It's just like that sliding scale. Yeah. We describe uh, diabetes as it's like insanity. You have to, you do things over and over again, but you have to expect different results because yeah. that's just how diabetes is. It's literally the definition of insanity. Totally. hundred percent. Do you have a few quick tips for people to start feeling better right away? I do have a few, but I just want to mention one because I think it's the most important. I mean, I could, I could do a few, but my, the most important tip that if you If you hear one thing while you're listening to me, it's that your thoughts are optional. If you, your thoughts are optional, just because you have a thought does not make it true. We have so many beliefs about our type 1 diabetes that we, that our brains have decided to believe, right? Just because we have a thought does not make it true. Our our brains create these sentences in our minds that are influenced by our parents, our endocrinologists, social media, just because we have decided it's true. And just because they come into our minds does not make it true. Make it true. So if you can ask yourself, how can this thought not be true? And come up with a couple of reasons why it's not true. And I'm going to give you an example. I already mentioned that I thought I was not going to live past 40 and I'm 47. I was getting ready the other day and I was so frustrated because I was running late and I was trying to get ready to go to a party. And I thought, ah, diabetes ruins everything. And again, it's the awareness of the thought. That thought is what was causing my frustration. And I thought, wait a second, diabetes ruins everything? I was five minutes delayed in getting ready. I wasn't even late to the party. I was just delayed getting ready five minutes. Diabetes ruins everything. How is this thought not true? I still got ready. I had a really good hair day too. I still got ready. My hair looked cute. My makeup got done. I had a great time at the party. Diabetes didn't ruin anything, let alone everything. That thought wasn't not even, there was nothing about that thought that was true. But yet if I hadn't stopped and analyzed that thought, I would have gone the rest of the day frustrated, believing that diabetes ruins everything. So if you have a thought, stop and say, how can this thought 
thought not be true. And just know that just because you have a thought does not make it true. I just want to leave you with that one because I think it's so important. It's so powerful too. Just like that, like what, like you were saying, that little piece of awareness, once you recognize it and you can question those things, like just wiggle the thoughts loose and see where they go. I like that. Wiggle the thought loose. Yeah. All right. Do you have a book recommendation for our listeners? I'm so glad you asked that because I just read the most life-changing, powerful book I've ever, I say read, listen to. I, I'm an audible person. I listened to the most life-changing book of my life. It's called The Gap and the Gain. Has someone ever brought this up on this podcast before? Me. I bring it up all the time. You do? (laughs) I had a feeling, but I'm going to bring it up anyway because I'm going to compare it to diabetes. I do bring it up. I'm sure you have, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. And you do compare it to diabetes probably? I mean, I talk about it all the time about how we need to compare our lives to how far we've come from the person we were before versus how far we have to go to the person we want to be. So please tell me what your take on it was. Okay, cool. It's like the most life-changing book I've ever listened to my entire life. So my take is we're in the gap when we compare ourselves to other people. Well, two things. We're we're in the gap in two ways. We're in the gap when we compare ourselves to other people, like when I was a little kid and I was always comparing myself to these well, seemingly well-adjusted kids when, first of all, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors. But also, I wasn't doing myself any favors to compare myself to these other kids. Or we're in the gap when we compare ourselves to an idealized version of ourselves, aka when you think that I would be X if I didn't have type 1 diabetes, or I missed the version of myself before I had type 1 diabetes, right? Then you're just sitting in the gap, which because you're never, ever, ever, ever going to measure up. You're never going to be that person again. I mean, it's sad to say, but you're never going to be that person again, or you're never going to be that person ever. Like, I'm never going to be that person without diabetes. So you're just sitting in the gap. And just for those who've never read it, the gap is not a place you want to be because you're always going to feel badly. You're in the gain if you measure yourself backwards, right? Like I measured the sliding scale where I was always frustrated 10 out of 10 times, where I was always frustrated at an intensity of 10 out of 10. But if you measure yourself backwards and say, am I frustrated eight out of 10 times or nine and a half out of 10 times or a nine and a half, 10 intensity, I'm in the gain. I'm doing awesome. I mean, now I'm really, truly, usually at a three out of 10, but there are days when I'm a nine out of 10. But the point is, it's a sliding scale. And if you're measuring yourself backwards, you're going to feel awesome because you're in the game. So that's that's the way I liken it to type one, but it applies to literally everything in life. And I'm glad you said it applies to literally everything because I talk about this concept most with my authors in uh, Tally Inc., where we talk about publishing your books and writing the first draft and getting the garbage first draft out and then feeling terrible about not having written as much as you wanted to. But if you look at yourself 10 years ago and you look at the fan fiction you wrote 10 years ago and it's totally sucky, but you write really great stuff now, it's like, look at that gain rather than how far you have to go to publish like 20 books. (laughs) Yes, yes. And the other thing is they talk about how you're always going to slip into the gap. It's human nature, right? I mean, I was in the gap the other day, but it just, it gives you the, the verbiage and the, the language to identify it. And I was feeling really badly about something. And I was like, wait a minute, Lauren, you're in the gap. Get yourself into the game. So it's just like, it's like you said about wiggling the thought loose. It's identifying it and saying, I'm in the gap. 
get yourself into the game. And I got myself into the game. And so it's totally human nature. I mean, the author himself was saying he, he got it. He was in the, in the gap with his kids and he just identify it and then switched on over. But it just gives you like the language to identify and that's- it. That's like the true power of coaching is because you, when you're in that gap, you might not recognize it for yourself, but if you're talking to a coach, they can see it and point it out and help you identify those triggers and those identifiers in your life for when you are in the gap rather than when you're in the gain. So that's like another reason to hire a coach. Absolutely. hundred percent. You're too close to your own brain sometimes. Yeah. You can't read the label from inside the bottle. I have no idea who came up with that, but I love saying (laughs) it. Oh my gosh. So much. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. If people want to connect with you and learn more about your coaching program, where can they find you online? They can find me at the T1DLifeCoach.com. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your expertise today. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.